Welcome to Anti-Aging Unraveled with Dr. Lori Gerber. The body is one of the most complicated systems in the universe. Dr. Gerber and her guests explore integrative medicine and cosmetic dermatology, combining traditional medicine, alternative health practices, new innovations, and technology, which work together to help you look and feel natural and age gracefully. Now, here is your host, Dr. Lori Gerber. Good evening, everybody. This is Dr. Lori Gerber, um, once again, with Anti-Aging Unraveled. And uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of an opportunity to take your health into your own hands. Um, I was asked to do a presentation uh, for one of our conferences on easy to implement integrative medicine concepts for people that don't do what I do. So what I do is considered integrative medicine or functional medicine. And most family practitioners are not trained. Actually, I should say all family practitioners are not trained in this. And I can tell you from experience as I was one of those. And the thing is, is that there's some really easy things that you can ask your primary to check or to, to look into for you that would really benefit you in the long run from a health perspective. So I want to go through those with you. And it really just gives you some empowerment of how to take control of your own healthcare and, and really your own, what I would call disease processes, because this is one of those things where if you don't take, um, take it into your own hands, then you know, it's going to be one, you're not going to have any responsibility for it. And you're going to be at the mercy of whatever your physician wants to check. So this is what I call easy to implement or easy to check things, right? With primary care, we're calling it easy to implement integrative medicine concepts. But really, I like to say what you can ask your doctor to do for you. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is some disease processes. And I think that, um, you know, there's certain things that we can talk about that are really easy to prevent. And there's four main, in my brain, um, groups, diabetes, hypothyroidism, what we would call hypogonadism, which is for um, men, it would be, you know, erectile dysfunction and testosterone dysfunction. And then for women, what we can do for perimenopause and menopause. And that encompasses a ton of symptoms, right? And what I would say early disease states, which means things that will happen early on that we can really either use as signs or we can prevent symptomatology. So let's talk about diabetes for a minute. You know, early signs of diabetes would be um, insulin resistance and some fatty liver disease. So we're going to talk about how we can find those things earlier than what we might find, you know, otherwise when we're looking for just diabetes per se. Then there we're going to talk about hypothyroidism. And again, we check for this TSH and we I've done whole shows on just thyroid, but we can check other things, including antibody presence. Even if the thyroid numbers are all normal, if there's antibodies, you know, we're going to talk about that and what that means. And then obviously the symptoms of, of that. So um, fatigue, um, exhaustion, brittle hair and nails, a cold or heat intolerance. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Same thing with hypogonadism and what I would call perimenopause or periperimenopause or andropause or menopause, all the pauses, right? All the hormone dysfunctions. And we're going to talk about why symptomatology can lead you in the direction of this occurring and what we can do about that. So these are kind of questions that you can bring to your your primary care physician and say, listen, you know, I have these symptoms. Can we check X, Y, and Z? And you can literally give them these things to check in a blood work, in a blood test. And if they're not willing to do it, 
you know, you can always come to me. But if they are willing to do it, it actually saves you time with me as well. So if you do end up on my doorstep and you already have these labs drawn, it just makes it that much easier for me to start treating you. And we find things earlier than we might otherwise find things. So that's what we're going to go and talk about today. So let's talk a little bit about diabetes for a minute. And I think that this is a, a key one with insulin resistance. You know, 34.2 million Americans, which is just over one in 10, have diabetes. And 88 million American adults, one in three, so if we could catch this so much earlier, one in three have pre-diabetes, 88 million. So what if we could find everybody at that point, which is honestly what we used to do. Um, so if you actually fast, if you actually look backwards in history and medicine, we used to find diabetes earlier. Why? Because we found that we could actually check for insulin levels. And we're going to talk about insulin in a minute. But if we can find it earlier before your insulin levels have just gone up so high that we can actually figure it out earlier so we don't have to wait for these hemoglobin A1C things, that's a pretty late sign of um, diabetes or insulin dysfunction. And let's talk about the importance of thyroid disease. So you know, according to the American Thyroid Association, most patients with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease, have measurable antibodies. So why is that not part of our routine blood work? So you know, 90% of patients with autoimmune thyroid disease have positive antibodies. 50% have positive, oh, sorry, those are TPO antibodies, which are thyroperoxidase antibodies. And then 50% have something called thyroglobulin antibodies. Both of them are antibodies to your thyroid. Both of them you can check on routine labs. And that's something you can ask for if you're having symptoms and maybe your TSH, T3, T4, reverse T3, all those numbers are coming up what we would call normal. Now, normal for me is obviously different than normal for your primary. So, you know, obviously we can talk about the differences in that. But at the same time, if you have antibodies, we know that the thyroid numbers are not staying static. They're not, they're changing all the time. Why? because you're fighting your thyroid. So if you are fighting your thyroid, why can't we treat antibodies early in disease to prevent thyroid burnout? And you know, we're talking about a large group of people. And I think if we actually look at the history of thyroid disease, which we talked about in a previous episode, which you can listen to, you know, this is a big epidemic. And it's an epidemic because we've created a society devoid of iodine and really scared of iodine therapy. Um, and, and really, I feel like there's a stigma around the, the, the complaint of fatigue. And fatigue can have many reasons, but it's, it's not in our heads. And thyroid is one of those. Um, so is hormone dysfunction. So we're going to kind of fast forward through that. And when we talk about what I call the pauses, menopause, perimenopause, andropause, you know, we as a society lump these people into maybe 60-year-olds. Um, even maybe late 50-year-olds. But really, I've seen symptoms as early as 30s, 40s, 50s in the majority of the people that I treat. And it can start in your 30s. If, you're always, if you already start at a low hormone threshold, there's no reason that you can't bottom lower than somebody else who starts at a higher number, right? It's all a bell-shaped curve. So on that bell-shaped curve, if you sit at the bottom of that bell-shaped curve, and unless you check that when you're younger, you have no idea, right? So, you know, once you get to the point where your hormones start to decline, 
and it genetically speaking, your mom declined at four, in her mid forties. And for some reason you're starting in your thirties after babies, that's definitely a possibility. And that's going to cause symptoms. So why can't we balance women and men for that, re, that, um, for that fact, why can't we treat them both in their earlier years, instead of having them suffer through fatigue, hot flashes, night sweats, um, inability to do the things you used to do workout wise. Um, let's, down to the fact of metabolic aging and inflammation, there's no reason that we can't start to treat those things earlier to prevent inflammation, metabolic dysfunction. And we'll go into a little bit of, of what you're going to look for in, in those um, lab work for that. But there's, in my brain, this should be treated way earlier to prevent the disease states. We want to prevent heart disease. We want to prevent bone loss. We want to prevent um, hot flashes, night sweats, dysfunction, um, erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction in general, which isn't talked about ever. So we're going to talk about symptoms, early symptoms that you can bring up with your physician. And I see no reason why you can't put in there, can this be X, Y, Z? You know, is this early diabetes? Is this early menopause? And ask for the labs that you're going to, um, that we're going to talk about today. So with diabetes, you know, we talk about insulin resistant and fatty liver disease. And Generally speaking, with insulin resistance, it's a belly fat game. You know, it's weight gain and belly fat and the um, inability to sometimes regulate water retention. Um, that's a big one. Obviously, later in, in diabetes, we have um, frequent urination and thirst. But early on, it's usually a weight game, weight game. So, you know, we have to think about that when someone comes into our office as physicians. And you guys, when, all, when the weight starts going up, and you know that you're doing your due diligence of eating the appropriate number of calories or, or not eating too many carbohydrates, what's going on with you? And it's usually that insulin becomes resistant. How do we, um, oh, we'll go to how do we check on that in a minute. Hypothyroidism. So hypothyroid is a tough one. And I think that, again, that symptom of fatigue is dismissed so readily in family practitioners' offices because we get older and we do, we get tired. It's not, it's not for lack of, it's a normal process, right? But extreme fatigue is not normal and inability to do your daily functions or not get out of bed or needing afternoon naps, that's not normal. Weight gain, that's another one. Again, this has a lot of crossover, right? So we're crossing over with diabetes and we're also gonna cross over with what I call the pauses. But weight gain's a big one. Sudden weight gain, um, unexpected weight gain, is a, is a huge one. Intolerance to heat and cold. So the inability to basically sit in, in, in the cold weather or sitting in your house, you're at 70 degrees, all of a sudden you're hot all the time. That's a big one for, um, it's usually cold with hypothyroidism, but you ca it can be heat as well. This one, this complaint I get a lot, but generally speaking, it's um, dismissed by the patient, but brittle hair and nails. As we age, we think, okay, we're going to, our nails and our hair become more brittle anyway. We dry out. But with thyroid conditions, what we find is those hair and nails will actually suddenly get brittle. Where you had great nails for a long time, now they're starting to break. Um, your hair is starting to break off at the ends or your hairdresser comments on a lot of breakage at the top. These are things that are thyroid related and you can bring them to your doctor and say, listen, I have these symptoms. Um, can we check? And I'm going to go through the, what we can check. And again, if it's negative, that doesn't mean you don't have an issue. 
It just means that it's not coming up in blood work, right? Because it's not 100% of people that show the blood changes, nor is it a static number, right? So blood work is a Polaroid picture in time. It's literally a snapshot. And that snapshot in time, it changes. It changes based on your eating habits. It changes based on your exercise. How healthy are you that week? How are your antibodies doing that week? So, you know, just because one static blood work doesn't show anything doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I think that's really important for you to understand, right? We treat the symptoms. We don't necessarily always treat a lab. And why? Because, you know, again, it's not 100% of people. So let's talk about andropause, which is male menopause. And usually I think the first complaint is fatigue and weight gain, belly fat gain, um, fatigue, men just not being able to get up and go do the things that they like to do before, which is called anhedonism. Insomnia and night sweats are a huge one as well. Relatively early on, guys will say that they can't sleep very well. Maybe they're restless. They can't regulate their temperature in the evening. It's not always a night sweat. So that's important to note. You know, sometimes it's just all of a sudden where you kick the covers off and you can't get your temperature regulated. Um, big, big ones that are early on are lack of AM erections. And I think this is a really important one to think about because, you know, when, you're, when a male is younger, their erections in the morning are pretty consistent. When testosterone gets below about 600, the AM erections disappear. It doesn't mean they have erectile dysfunction. It just means that they're, they don't have an erection in the morning. So erectile dysfunction is a late sign. It's usually below three to 400, which is pretty low. 800 to 1100 is where most guys like to sit. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I think the biggest complaint that most men will talk about is, is fatigue and sometimes lack, lack of exercise tolerance, not being able to work out the way they used to, not being able to build muscle mass, um, that kind of thing. And then that goes along with the weight as well because they can't lose weight and they can't put on muscle. And then there's the women. What I like to call is peri-perimenopause, perimenopause, and menopause. And why? Because it's a continuum. Just like men, you kind of go from this 600, 700 down to 300, and it's like a continuum of symptoms. Perimenopause and peri-peri to menopause, all of those are on a continuum as well. Most women, I think, would complain of fatigue and probably a little bit of mood changes and anxiety and sleep, inability to fall asleep, inability to stay asleep, brain fog, new onset anxiety or worsening of anxiety is a huge one. Um, hot flashes is a later sign of, of menopause or perimenopause, but I think the, the primary is weight gain, inability to lose weight, fatigue, anxiety is huge, insomnia and brain fog. So those things are, again, things you can bring up to your primary and say, listen, I think my hormones are changing. How do we prevent these um, from giving me persistent symptoms? It's not that we're going to stop you from going through menopause, right? But we're going to try to prevent symptoms. And birth control pill is not the answer. And I think that's part of the issue is that primary care docs don't really know how to treat this, right? So again, you can always start with supplements, and there's plenty of information on my website, on my podcast about supplements. We can go through that as well. But you can always start there. And then we can always talk about bioidenticals um, to try to treat or even anti-inflammation um, supplements to try to treat some things moving forward. So I think the really important thing is that these body systems are all connected, right? They're not isolated. 
So people don't understand, and doctors, primary care docs don't understand that what I call these uh, triangles or pyramids, they are all connected. So once one organ system starts to decline, it the ripple effect is real. It ripples to the rest of these organ systems. So what I like to say is TAP, thyroid, adrenal, pancreas. Okay. We talked about thyroid. We didn't talk about adrenal and pancreas because they're more, um, more symptoms, not disease-based according to what I would primary care docs. But we, all of us in this, what I would call integrative medicine field know about adrenal fatigue, right? So we talked about the pancreas with insulin, but adrenal fatigue is not something that we discussed. Why? Um, Because it's not considered by traditional medicine as a, what I would say, a disease process, but it's a trickle-down effect of these thyroid and pancreas dysfunctions. So cortisol levels, which is what is part of the adrenal glands release, are all regulated by, or actually all help to regulate insulin and thyroid. So when you have cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and that cortisol becomes abnormal. Why? Because you're stressed, you're not sleeping, you're maybe sick, you had COVID. Um, There's a lot of reasons to have cortisol that's not functioning correctly. It should spike in the morning and go down as the day goes on. If it doesn't do that, what's why? Well, it's because you're burning out this adrenal gland and your cortisol can't keep up. Or your cortisol makes your sex hormones. So we're going to talk about how that's related too, right? So cortisol sounds like cortisone and cortisone is, comes from cholesterol. And that's how we make our sex hormones. All of our hormones are actually what we would call fat-based, okay, or steroid-based hormones. And they come from cortisol. So if your body's struggling to make your hormones for long periods of time, your cortisol spikes and spikes and spikes and spikes, and then it can't keep up. So cortisol elevation causes insulin resistance and a low-functioning thyroid. Okay, so again, these go together. It's like a metabolic system triad, all right? We have this thing called metabolic syndrome. Why is it a syndrome? Because one, we didn't catch it early enough when we could have caught high cortisol levels or low cortisol levels that we presume was high for a long period of time, and now they're burnt out. But now we have this insulin resistance and this low-functioning thyroid that we could have fixed probably five years ago, okay? Another thing that causes the cortisol to be dysregulated, which we talked about, is lack of sleep, high stress, infection, autoimmunity, okay? So again, what came first, the chicken or the egg? If you're fighting your thyroid with antibodies, did you create a cortisol dysfunction? Or was your cortisol off because you were stressed and your body was stressed, and then you have autoimmunity as a cause of it, meaning you're fighting your own thyroid most commonly and sometimes your own body in other ways, like... um, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, okay? But that in turn will cause additional cortisol dysfunction. Waking itself can cause um, some cortisol dysfunction. Why? Because your insulin gets sensitive or insensitive rather, and it can't take your sugars into your cells and the cortisol becomes wacky, all right? It gets dysregulated so it can go both directions. Gut issues, food sensitivities. Again, when your immune system goes crazy, it stresses your body out. Why would your immune system go crazy? Because your gut sees things as foreign every day. And when you have a leaky gut or food sensitivities and allergies, it triggers your immune system. And that's that second pyramid that I like to talk about, right? The gut immune brain. Well, unfortunately, the gut immune brain triangle and the thyroid adrenal pancreas triangle 
they trigger each other. So they are linked, right? So when you have the autoimmunity, you're triggering some autoimmune thyroid, which gives you some cortisol dysregulation, or maybe the cortisol started first and that made you have autoimmunity. So they're all a big circle. So if you don't fix one, you can't get the others fixed. And again, if you know these numbers and you're aware of them and you bring them to me, your doctor might not know what to do with all of them, but some of them we can definitely help early on and the other ones we can do with natural supplementation. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how the sex hormones are related. So again, cortisol and cholesterol create our sex hormones. So what happens when we decrease cholesterol levels? And this is something that I think is really important. We're going to talk about in a minute, but we actually decrease the amount of sex hormones that we make. And we also can dysregulate the cortisol that we make because it's all made from cholesterol. So I know we try to decrease this cholesterol. It's one of the things that primary care likes to do, but you have to understand the trickle down effect, okay? There's always a cause and effect. And when you decrease cholesterol and someone already even has cortisol dysfunction, maybe their cortisols are burnout, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. So low testosterone, let's talk about testosterone because I think it's probably the most under discussed hormone um, in primary care. And low T, again, can be cortisol driven. So if you have low testosterone early in life, it could be that your cortisol levels are burnout. They haven't been, they've been working on overdrive for the last 10 years. You're the, you're running a company, you're flying all over the world, you're stressed out, you're not sleeping. Cortisol high for a long period of time will be able to keep up with testosterone. Once it goes low, because you can't, you can't keep up with demand anymore, that's when your, your testosterone will decline. Um, elevated inflammation and autoimmunity will also create a strain on the cortisol and testosterone production. It can also drive the low thyroid like we talked about a few minutes ago. It can, uh, low testosterone can create dyslipidemia. So again, you know, we talk about this metabolic triad or these systems that are, are, are attached to each other. Low T can create a high LDL um, which is not the good cholesterol. And when you fix low testosterone, and it can actually drive down your LDL. Um, but another really big one is low testosterone can cause decreased bone density. And this is proven, this has shown that um, testosterone de decreases, um, sorry, imp improving testosterone production increases bone density, especially in females. We know that low T um, perpetuates bone density loss, okay? So what can we do if we have osteopenia, which is low or loss of bone in a female is actually we can put back some testosterone if we're low. It's a great way to actually improve bone density, which there's not anything really on the market that will improve. We can stabilize bone density loss, but we really can't improve it. Very, very subtly can, we can do that. So let's talk a little bit about females uh, a little bit more since we're on the bone density issue. And let's talk about estrogen, progesterone, seesaw. I like to talk about the seesaw a lot if you guys have heard any of my other podcasts. Low progesterone is almost always when I see a female. And why? Because the seesaw is not balanced. Progesterone goes down early in your hormonal, um, your hormonal age, if you will. And usually after babies, babies we have high progesterone because it keeps our lining in, it keeps our baby in the uterus. And when we stop having kids, that progesterone subtly declines. 
And that subtle decline creates what we would call, what I like to call progesterone mush, mush brain. You get a little bit of anxiety, you get fog, you can't sleep as well. And we kind of attribute this to kids, family, life. But generally speaking, it's really a hormonal dysfunction. And we can catch this pretty early. You know, if you check your levels at the peak of your cycle, so meaning when it should be the highest, you do have a time in your cycle where it should be very high. And then you check it again somewhere, what I would call um, one quarter through your cycle, you'll see the differential. And we can sometimes do a urine where we can check the whole, the total for your progesterone as well in a 24-hour period. But I find it a little bit easier just to do two points of progesterone at, a different, at different points in your cycle and see if you're spiking mid-cycle and how low you're going at the bottom of your cycle and where you are kind of a quarter way through the cycle. And why is that important? Because if you're not spiking with progesterone high enough, your brain's never getting that evening out effect, okay? Um, it also, it can drive low thyroid and, and also insulin resistance, just like testosterone can going low. And it can be cortisol driven as well. Again, your sex hormones are progesterone and estrogen as well. So when that cortisol drops, you can find that progesterone and estrogen regulation are not good. So again, when progesterone doesn't balance out estrogen, it's not a very happy place to be. Why? Your brain relies on progesterone to calm it down. It's a GABA stimulator. When those receptors, those GABA receptors are not saturated, you get anxiety. You get what I call twitchy brain. You can't remember things as, as well. You get um, lack of calmness. And progesterone, again, is that hormone that balances the squishy, mushy belly that estrogen can create. So progesterone is a key hormone with replacement. And there's supplements that you can do to replace some progesterone early on called pregnenolone um, that gives you a nice little boost in your progesterone levels. Why? Because it's a pro-hormone. Um, there's also things that will decrease the estrogen load to bring the other side down, like my product called Methyl Assist, which is DIM. And DIM is a broccoli extract that's meant to lower estrogen levels. DIM is actually great to also improve testosterone levels. It decreases the little, uh, I call it the Pac-Man that holds on to testosterone for dear life and lets you not use it. That's SHBG or sex hormone binding globulin. It's a very interesting um, little protein that holds on to testosterone. So the methyl assist is a great hormone regulator. Green leafy diets are wonderful for hormone regulation when you start to go through perimenopause or periperi when progesterone goes down and testosterone starts to decline. So green um, smoothies, that's why green smoothies for so many people that are um, you know later in life, they feel so good because it helps to stimulate the production of your hormones or freeze up some more free testosterone, okay? And when I say greens, I mean broccoli, cauliflower, kale, um, and spinach. So, you know, we're talking about things that are very high in, in a substance called DIM, okay? So when you're, when you're talking to your doctor, you can be responsible for the supplementation, right? You don't necessarily have to, they don't have to know what to do with these numbers, but you're going to be able to look at your own levels and say, all right, low progesterone for me is less than, um, I would say less than three to five at the peak of your cycle. Five to 10 when you're younger is probably pretty normal. So if you're at 15 to 21 days from your first day of bleeding, which is what I would suggest you first check, that should be around five minimally. And if not, you're low progesterone. Your estrogen levels, 
um, can either be high early on, anywhere in the 80s to 100s, maybe even 120 to 130, and that's estradiol. Your estrone can be high, which is a very potent estrogen around 80s to 100, which will really create some havoc as well. And when that happens, you're going to get mushy belly, weight gain. And again, those are cortisol driven as well. Um, But when it starts to go, so you're going to get that belly fat phase. When it starts to go down and you're low, that's later in menopause. Okay. That's usually about one to two years after a loss of a period. So it takes a while for that estrogen to go down, which is crucial, right? We think about menopause as this estrogen thing, which really it's not all about estrogen. For the most part, we want to block a little estrogen early on. And that progesterone going down is our key, is our key factor. Later, we want to replace a little estrogen because you're, you, you get dryness, sometimes moods and skin changes, right? That's a big one. So it's the estrogen being high that creates the majority of our symptoms early on, okay? And again, that can drive low thyroid, autoimmunity, bone density loss. So when we, when we replace these things, we're, we're actually looking to do yourself a service, but not get you to a point where your estrogen is too high and you're getting that squishy, mushy effect anymore. Okay, so I'm going to pop back to testosterone for a minute because I think there's when you talk to your physician, there's some really important points that you need to bring up when you get your labs. I um, just gave you a little snippet of it a few minutes ago, and it's called sex hormone binding globulin. And this applies to men and women. And it can be checked on a lab with your hormones. It should, it will not cost extra money. It should not be, um, it's covered by insurance. And that SHBG is important because the lab will calculate your free and total testosterone. But it doesn't take into account this binding globulin that binds your testosterone up, which is really important. And when you talk about SHBG, the higher your SHBG is, the less free or available testosterone you have. So really for me, it's important to get a total testosterone and a sex hormone binding globulin. And and then there's a normogram, which I'll put up online, um, that we can use to calculate it. You can actually pull it up um, on um, any website, actually. It's it's an, a normogram for testosterone, it's SHBG. You can look it up and you'll see, you'll be able to plug in your numbers and actually plot your, um, your actual free bioavailable testosterone. That's really important because women, there's no normal reference ranges for testosterone. Guess what, guys? We never checked it. It's really not fair because it is a hormone that's really important, but we never checked it. So now in our society, what we're finding is that women do need testosterone and they're, they really need about um, 60 to 80 is where I replace to with oral replacement, maybe thir- even 40 to 60 with even, even 30 to 40. If you're in the 15s, 20s, um, even single digit ranges, you're very low and you're going to be symptomatic. And again, it's normal on Quest, LabCorp, all the other labs out there's reference ranges. Why? Because we really don't have a normal reference range for women and testosterone. We know, you know, what starts to cause cysts and what we would call polycystic ovary disease. But just because you keep your testosterone levels higher does not um, necessarily cause polycystic ovary, right? It has more to do with a combination of factors 
and, and it does cause insulin resistance and it does cause cysts on the ovaries, but that's not necessarily because of the testosterone effect. It's the metabolic effect. So it's the metabolic predisposition of your body. Okay. So when I, I get that question a lot, when we replace testosterone, does it create polycystic ovaries? No, it does not create it. Not just because you put testosterone back, it does not mean that you're going to get polycystic ovaries or cysts on your ovaries. Okay. Um, by the same token, what does testosterone do for females? Well, it helps with libido. It helps with um, orgasm. It helps with weight loss. It helps with muscle mass, putting on muscle mass. It helps with brain fog, helps with night sweats. Um, I always call it the mojo hormone. It's the get up and go. I'm going to feel better. Um, be able to kind of do my activities and normal life. We can re help testosterone early on with something called DHEA. And I like to do very low dose for females, probably about 10 milligrams to 25 milligrams at the most. Um, and that is a great supplement that actually will help to stimulate testosterone production. The other one is HCG. HCG is the pregnancy hormone that we test in our urine, but it does a great job to, put, to help to promote some testosterone production. And then last but not least, the, um, the, what did I say before, the DIM, the methyl assist is great for freeing up testosterone. So again, with that binding globulin is really high and we want to free up some extra testosterone, we can actually take this stuff and we can take one to two a day, one in the morning and one at night or just in the morning, and that will free up, it'll actually decrease your binding globulin and free up testosterone. Workouts freeze up testosterone, okay? It actually will transiently increase your testosterone production. So it's really important that you get these things in to help your testosterone. Um, the other thing to really put out there as well, which I didn't mention with the estrogen, is there's certain foods that are highly estrogenic and soy being one of them. So I like to put that out there because there's, um, in, and you can, we can go through a whole list, but the, this isn't really the time, but there's a lot of estrogenic foods. I think soy is one that a lot of people eat because it, they think it's healthy but it's highly estrogenic. So in males, I absolutely say don't do soy at all. And in females, especially when you're menopausal early on or perimenopausal, soy is a big no-no because you're going to just perpetuate that high estrogen that's already there. Um, so I would say, you know, green leafy diets, kind of forcing the greens, doing extra methyl assist is a great way to help your levels much more than, um, you know, replacing some of your proteins with soy. So I'm going to put this testosterone now in a, what I would call that continuum. I'm going to make it make sense for men. And again, we do have normal ranges for men. We know that men do the best at 800 to 1100 for their testosterone, especially at the peak of their life. So, you know, what are we saying peak of their life? I'm going to say probably anywhere from 16 to, to 25, 27 maybe a little bit, you know, that's when their hormones should be at their highest. And 800 to 1100, we know to be a safe normal. Obviously, younger in life, especially when men are going through puberty, it'll be a little, it could be a little bit higher than that. But when we get below 900 and 800, what we see is a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease association. Um, below 800 and specifically around 840 on the data, is a more aggressive type of prostate cancer. So when we talk about prostate cancer and testosterone, it's an aggressive prostate cancer. And we're gonna, I'll give a little brief snippet on that in a minute. Um, 
and increase mortality. So we know that testosterone is a great anti-inflammatory. It helps to decrease inflammation and decrease mortality and morbidity if you have higher levels. It's an anti-aging hormone. So it is very good for you. When we replace testosterone, I like to use bioidentical testosterone, which means it's made from a yam. But anytime we replace testosterone, we always want to check a DHT level, which is a precursor to testosterone, and a PSA, which is a prostate number. Again, these are numbers that you can ask your doctors to check. And the reason I check that is DHT causes hair loss. So if it's high and we go to replace testosterone, we want to make sure that we're not going to create extra hair loss. But we're also checking to see if we're if it's low and we make we give you testosterone, you can actually make more DHT. DHT will saturate your prostate receptors that if you're already low are not saturated. If there's an aggressive prostate cancer there, that is when you're going to see it is in the first six to eight weeks of treatment. It doesn't mean that the testosterone created prostate cancer. It means that we were able to uncover the prostate cancer because we gave you back some DHT or testosterone that made DHT. So I think that's really important to understand is that in the first six to eight weeks of therapy is when you're at your highest risk and we do check a PSA, make sure the prostate doesn't get enlarged and we're not seeing any spike in that number and the DHT is reasonable. So, um, and that your symptomatology, you're not having any symptoms at the six to eight week mark. 700 and lower is really where we see those triangle or that insulin resistance, the thyroid issues. Um, and then it perpetuates going down to 500 for diabetes. So again, that metabolic syndrome where you get high cholesterol, some high sticky cholesterol, you're getting increase in mortality and bitted already. And then that's also where um, primarily in women, we see the osteoporosis, or sorry, in men, we see the osteoporosis at 700. With women, we see that, like I said, when it gets down into the 20s, probably even maybe like low 30s, we start to see an increase in osteoporosis. Testosterone is excellent for bone density help, okay? Um, I th this is a really big one. Less than 600 is we actually see a clinical correlation in increased mortality and morbidity. Why? Because we know it's a great anti-inflammatory. It's very protective. It's cardioprotective in women. We know this from some of the data. And, you know, so what are we, what, why can't we test, even though 600 is normal on all the lab values, when, like normal ranges for men, we know that these correlations exist. So if you're symptomatic and we start to see metabolic changes, the insulin, the cholesterol, the thyroid, um, the weight gain, then why should we not start to replace testosterone safely? Um, again, you're not complaining of symptoms for most men until you're below 400. Again, that's when they start complaining of fatigue and libido loss. And that's a very late sign. And we know there's an increased risk of coronary artery disease below um, 350. So again, I don't understand why we wouldn't check that earlier. So my recommendation is to ask to check it early and often. There's, you can get it every year. It will be covered. There's no issue with that. Um, so there's no reason to not check it, especially if you're having other insulin changes. Again, that's early, early. You can ask to get your insulin checked, not just a hemoglobin A1C, your cholesterol. And I like to say you should get a VAP, which is like a, it gives you a higher breakdown of the molecules of your cholesterol. And then we can check your SHBG and your total testosterone, okay, with a DHT and a PSA, like I talked about a few minutes ago. So those are what you're going to ask for. Men that complain of um, libido loss, like I said, it's below 400. 
Our artery disease, coronary artery disease below 350. Depression is a big one below 300. And then erectile dysfunction is very late at about 200. Again, if you're down that far, you've already pretty much gone down the slippery slope of what I call the continuum of testosterone, right? And it's not a good thing to be down that far. How do we replace testosterone? Well, you know, if you're primary, if you're going to do it through your primary and you're going to do injectable testosterone, I recommend do not do gels or gels or creams. Um, the traditional methods on the market are alcohol-based testosterone replacement. And unfortunately, guys, this is a steroid hormone. It does not sit well in alcohol and it does not penetrate your skin very well in alcohol. Okay. It really just sits on top of your skin and just rubs off on everybody else or doesn't get in. If it does get in, it only gets into the sub Q or like where your fat is, and then you're just going to convert it to estrogen. It's actually not a great way to get it in in general. I much prefer injectables if you're going to go that route. Um, but I do prefer either three times a week, tiny, small doses, um, such as, um, if you're going to do it, it usually they're 200 milligrams per ml and you're going to want to do probably 150 milligrams a week. So you're going to basically be about 0 0.3, 0 0.2, three times a week. And you're just going to do it sub Q. It's going to go right under the skin, right into the, um, sub Q tissue, which is literally just below your skin level. And it's not going to go into the fat and you're not getting these huge doses. Why is that important? Huge doses of testosterone are not easily absorbed or used. And they just convert back to byproducts or, or what I would call bad back products, such as estrogen and DHT. That's not what we want. We don't need, and then you're going to be, they're going to say, oh, once a month or once every couple of weeks. Well, guess what? It's only lasting in your system, probably about a week, a week and a half if you're lucky. And you're going to get these side effects and then you're going to get these crashes. The goal is not to have these peaks and valleys. We want a nice steady state. I sometimes um, will use lozenges for guys that go under your tongue. They're a slow release and hopefully a lot of that is absorbed under the sublingual arteries in the tongue. Um, like I said, or we'll do an injectable or we can do pellets. And that goes for females as well. Um, pellets, females will do an injection every other day and it's a very low dose or they can do trochies under the tongue or they can do a pellet which goes into the skin on the soft tissue of the backside. Um, it's really tiny. It's very, very small. And it just goes under the skin. And then once it goes under, it releases over about four months for women and six months for men. So again, most primaries don't take care of this for you, but it's a good way to start getting your numbers. And then if you have that information, you can come to me and we can get you started, um, especially if they're within the last six months to a year. So again, I don't think I gave you normals for insulin. So if your primary tells you it's normal and you want to check them on it, and insulin less than 10 is normal fasting from 12 hours minimally. So from midnight the night before, you want to check your cortisol levels before 9 a.m. Okay, because we want that morning spike. And cortisol should be between 10 and 20 first thing in the morning. If it's lower than that or higher than that, you're, you have a cortisol dysfunction. I like to check a T3, which is a free T3. That's your active thyroid hormone. That should be greater than 3.5. A T4 is your inactive, which makes more active. So we do still need it. That should be around an eight. And then those antibodies should really be non-existent, that TPO antibody and that thyroglobulin antibody. So again, that's your thyroid, hypothyroid, and diabetes normal values. They're not in that range. Um, you can question your primary. They may not have the answer for you. Again, that's not what they're trained in, unless it's like what I would call typically abnormal. 
But if they don't, you at least have the information to be able to go, like I said, and get some supplementation. For thyroid, um, we use something, it's called a glandular thyroid, which is ecothyroid, which I do um, provide. And the other one we use um, is armor thyroid, which is from your pharmacy. We also, for insulin sensitivity, we use something that's called, um, it's bitter melon and chromium, which helps to sensitize insulin. So you can get a supplement with that in it, um, which I can do as a, as a, what I call my rapid prescribe, and we can get you that right online. So again, as long as you know that what, you, what your symptoms are, you don't even need labs if you know your symptomatology for these supplements, except for the ecothyroid and the armor, um, and I can get you started. The andropause and menopause, what we're looking, and I'm, I know this is redundant, but I want to make sure I put it all together for you guys. So andropause, testosterone at greater than 800 to 1100 for men. Um, you want your binding globulin probably less than 75. Most men are usually sitting around 30 to 40. Women have a naturally higher binding globulin. And you want to have an estrogen that's on the uh, moderate to low side. You don't want it too low and you don't want it too high. So probably about 30. Anything over 30 to 40 um, is probably too high, and we want to start blocking a little estrogen before we put your testosterone back. Um, so, And that's where that, again, that methyl assist comes into play because it does work for men and women, and it will decrease estrogen levels and free up testosterone. So doesn't that sound wonderful for both men and women, right? So it's a great dim, and methyl, which is methyl assist, is wonderful. And the data on it is, is excellent. So if you start Googling me, I mean, you're going to see all kinds of amazing data. The LH and FSH for females is what's going to tell you if you're in menopause. And as they start to elevate, even if they're not all the way in what we would call menopausal range, as they start to elevate, you are considered what we would call perimenopausal or early menopause. And you want to make sure you look for that. That estrone level um, that I talked about, if it's in the 80s or even 70s, that's a very potent estrogen. That's going to make you on that high estrogen kind of estrogen dominant phase, which is going to be squishy mushy. Again, methyl assist helps with that. Same thing with estradiol. If estradiol is on the high side, 100 or more, um, we can, methyl assist will help to bring that side of the seesaw down. Progesterone, on the other hand, would be, um, again, five or less um, is low. If you're higher than five to 10, that's a different conversation, but five to 10 is pretty typical for the peak of your cycle, which is day, anywhere from day like 18 to 20, 17 to 21, um, from your first day of bleeding is the first number we wanna check to make sure you're spiking a normal peak progesterone level. Um, if it's low, how can we fix that? A little bit of pregnenolone, which is that supplement that I do offer on my website, um, or we can do progesterone bioidentically as a capsule, and that can be taken twice a day. It can be taken morning, for if, especially for mood, and it can be taken at night to help with sleep. So again, it's that calming agent, that GABA stimulator, um, all that, the calming, I always say it's like the calming effect, because it really is. It's the one hormone that really, I think, helps women the most. And it's very easy to take the pregnenolone with very little side effect to see if it even helps you. And you can do that with the methyl assist. Again, that'll help you with both ends of the seesaw. Bring the estrogen down, give a little bit of progesterone, and you kind of get that evening out. So with the last couple of minutes, I'm just going to talk about some medications that have what I call the ripple effect. And we kind of talked about one a little bit, which is statins. And 
Statins de- decrease cholesterol level levels. Again, we've never decreased mortality and morbidity by giving people cholesterol, cholesterol medications um, from heart disease. I'm not saying that some people don't need to be on statins. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to say, think about when you go on anything that lowers cholesterol, and that includes um, some of the natural cholesterol-lowering agents, um, like red yeast rice, remember that all of your sex hormones are made from cholesterol. And within about a year or two of therapy, you will have a primarily men, a handful of people um, that will say that they have erectile dysfunction suddenly. And it's very important to think about what you did to that preload, that that cholesterol level. Um, so sometimes taking them off the statin is the way to go and not necessarily having to treat the testosterone. Okay. Birth control is a big one. It suppresses natural progesterone production. Again, when we suppress progesterone, what happens? We create this brain twitchy, horrible feeling in our head. Anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, weight gain. Why? Because estrogen takes over. We're giving you estrogen on top of the regular estrogen you already had. Now, sometimes that's less than what you were making before, so it can help skin, right? We And it can help regulate people that have horrible um, periods. But we are suppressing natural progesterone production, and it does not stimulate the brain receptors or prevent cancers in the same way. So we do see women getting crazy, anxious, and having severe mood disorder on birth control. And weight gain is a real deal. It actually will decrease your testosterone. Why? It increases binding globulin. Your SHBG goes up, your Pac-Mans are holding on to your testosterone, and now you can't, you don't have enough testosterone. So libido, orgasm, all decreased, which is not a great thing, right? So again, we have to think about these consequences. People tell us, doctors especially, are like, tells all the time that birth control should have no effect on libido, but it sure does. And then weight gain goes from all of those hormones, right? Estrogen high, progesterone low, testosterone low, okay? Because you're going on a birth control. SSRIs, all the antidepressant medications, increase your binding globulin. That is where the erectile dysfunction type of stuff and low libido and difficulty with orgasm for females comes from. It decreases your testosterone by binding it up. It also affects cortisol levels and can create some um, sleep disorder, especially the um, sleeping pills, okay? So we want to make sure that, you know, you understand the downstream effects of, of cortisol dysregulation. It might help you initially, but over time, it, the dependency comes because your cortisol is, is dysregulated, Okay. The last one that I'm going to talk about are, are acid reducers or PPIs, such as, um, you know, the little purple pill or, um, and a lot of them are over the counter now. So I like to put this out there because it does decrease electrolyte absorption. So it can cause electrolyte abnormalities. And in general, over time, it decreases your acid in your stomach. So it can actually promote what we would call leaky gut or gut dysfunction, which is a big issue. Um, you know, leaky gut is is basically perpetuated by acid reducers in general. And when we start to get mineral um, dysregulation and we're not absorbing our nutrients, the, again, the trickle-down effect is huge, right? Thyroid being the, one of the biggest ones because um, we need so many electrolytes and minerals for thyroid production. But, you know, we have to... And I'm not saying, again, certain people do need some PPIs or, or acid-reducing medications, but there are natural ways such as my gut calm, um, has high dose glutamine, 
I have um, Sporify, which is a natural spore probiotic that actually is great for what we would call SIBO or small um, bacterial over small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I also have a great probiotic um, that has the two probiotics that all the studies are on. So again, you know, when you're looking at, and I have, I mean, I also have digestive enzymes to help you break down your food. There's so many ways to control gastric issues without having to go on a PPI. So I'm going to close it out, guys, by by saying if you have any questions on these, um, reach out to me. I have, um, and it will be up soon, I have what I would call a RAPI prescribe where you just fill out your symptoms and I can give you a supplement recommendation based on your symptomatology. It's really easy. I also am starting um, what I would call a a rapid prescription service, which is for Latisse, um, erectile dysfunction medications, and some acne and skincare products that are prescription. So all you have to do is fill out your intake online with the symptoms and it can be shipped directly to your doorstep um, a la me, Dr. Lori. So um, if you have any questions, you can feel free to email me at info at mydrlori.com um, or you can go to my website, which is the same, mydrlori.com. But all the supplements are on my shop. Um, I, I do recommend you guys doing an intake for me. Even if you think you're going to be shopping and you, you think you know what you're getting from this um, from this presentation, just do the, the quick, the rapid prescribe, which will be up. Um, it should be up this week. And you'll be able to do that and I'll be able to look at it. I have a liaison that I just started with who's amazing and we can get you started on that. All right, so mydrlaurie.com and I look forward to talking to you guys next week and I hope this all makes sense. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Oh, and the last thing I wanna talk about is don't forget to check your bugs, all right? Ask for Lyme testing at the end of this summer. Have a great night, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Anti-Aging Unraveled. Be sure to join Dr. Lori Gerber again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week and keep you aging gracefully.